Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are doing well. I want to thank you for tuning in once again. And um, I hope you're finding these uh, this series of programs enjoyable and uh, enlightening and informative. Uh, they certainly have been for me. I'm joined today with my guest for the past from the past uh, six or so weeks, Jim Osmond. Jim is my friend, and he is also my pastor. He's a teacher, elder at Kootenai Community Church. And so, Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here again. All right. Um, well, well, Jim, as we as we get started, uh, you have written a book entitled "Truth or Territory: A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare." So, uh, uh, I've I've said in one or two of the other programs that, dear ones, if you want to hear some good preaching, some good Bible teaching, uh, Jim Osmond is one of these guys who who is as good as they come. The content is as good as you will find anywhere. Uh, but he's relatively unknown outside of Sandpoint, I suppose. We're trying to keep it that way. Trying to keep it that way? <laughs> well, I'm going to do my best to change that. The last thing I need is hate mail from around the country. No, oh, it's it's entertaining. It's, it's, <laughs> it, uh, it, it happens. But... Uh, all right, Jim. Give us a give us a uh, give us your the church's website address so people can listen to your preaching and teaching, and then the website for the book. Yeah, the church's website address is kootenaichurch.org. K o o t that's two o's. K o o t e n a i church.org. And uh, if you want to hear good preaching, go to gty.org. Gty.org. <laughs> Grace to you. Yes, you will hear it there, but you will also hear it at, at uh, kootenaichurch.org. And uh, the, the, if you can purchase the book, the book, you can go to truthorterritory.com. Truthorterritory.com. In the interest of full disclosure, which we mentioned a few times already, but remind people that all the proceeds of the book go to the Building Fund of Kootenai Community Church, uh, of which you are a part. So it's a little bit of conflict of interest there maybe, but you're promoting something that will benefit the congregation of which you are a part. Yes, indeed I am. And uh, so the proceeds are not going to buy anybody any Rolex watches or fund any uh, private jets or air condition any dog houses, anything like that. I never thought I needed a private jet until you mentioned it. Now I... Now you want one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe if you and I pull our resources together, maybe we could, uh, I don't know, maybe we could buy a, a, seat? a tire. Yeah, a seat or something. So, all right, good deal. All right, so last week we talked about rebuking Satan, and uh, give us just a brief synopsis for those who did not hear last week's program. Uh, rebuking Satan, uh, like binding Satan, is uh, something with no biblical precedent, no command in Scripture, no instruction on how it's to be done. And uh, with rebuking Satan, we actually have two examples in the New Testament from Second Peter and Jude of uh, where this practice of reviling angelic authorities is practiced by false teachers, not true Christians. We are given the, the, the mandate, and we are given the prescription on how to deal with Satan. We are to resist, and we are to stand, and the devil will flee from us. That's that what we are told to do, not rebuke him and not bind him. Exactly. All right. Now, this week, we are going to talk about another popular misconception dealing with spiritual warfare, and that is that of spiritual mapping. Uh, basically, this belief that... Demons have their own uh, territory, and Jim, I, I've heard this a lot. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever watched the uh, Sid Roth program on TBN? Do you know who he is? No, I, I don't have nearly the stomach for that stuff that you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sid Roth has a program entitled "It's Supernatural," and, and uh, he has had guests on from time to time uh, who talk about 
demons having these territories, and, and we've got to map them out where they are, and, and uh, demons are assigned to ter- certain territories. So is that is that kind of what we're talking about here? That is exactly what we're talking about. And as we've dealt with these carnal weapons, uh, going through the, the various things that people do that are that are not in Scripture, uh, these have increased in, I, I think, level of danger involved in the practice itself you know we talked about praying a hedge of thorns what good what harm does it do well probably no harm but it doesn't do any good a generational hexes that's a bit more of a serious issue of 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 thinking that we have to cancel out curses and and then we talked about binding binding satan which is really not a practice we're told to do but but something that people do um thinking that they are involved in in limiting satan's power rebuking devil is a a step up from that i mean you, you go from just binding him to now all of a sudden you're speaking ill about him and and reviling these angelic messengers this one, spiritual mapping, is, I think, the most dangerous uh, and disastrous of any of these practices. Um, it, it's a disturbing practice, e- even on the face of it. And how this is done is is very disturbing and, I think, um, comes very close to divination and communications with the spirit realm, which we are forbidden in Scripture indeed, to do. Indeed. The, sometimes it's called spiritual mapping. Um, it, it, sometimes it, it, it's given a real fancy name, strategic level spiritual warfare, SLSW. Um, and sometimes these, this whole practice it, it involves referring to territorial spirits. Sometimes it's just shorthand mapping. And this is what the practice is. It is believed that demons exist in a hierarchy. You have one at the top, and like like troops in a military, you have a commander, then you have you know commanders under them, and then you have troops under them, and maybe you know ground level troops under them. That there is, it is believed that there is this massive spiritual, uh, territorial structured hierarchy over this world, and that you and that we have in the spiritual realm different demons assigned to different territorial regions. And it's believed that these demons maintain their appointment and their grip of darkness on these regions through the sins that are practiced in this region. So uh, let me give you an example of, of one that we heard. That we heard this theology kind of manifested um, recently. Well, I don't know how recently it was. It was the, the earthquake in Haiti. Was that three, four years ago? Yeah, uh, there was that massive yeah, earthquake in long. Haiti that just devastated everything. About three and, years ago. And it was after that that Pat Robertson came out and said that the earthquake was the result of the generations of, of these demons who are over the nation of Haiti, who, because of the witchcraft and the idolatry and the false religion there, that these demons had a stronghold in that area, and that they were they were the demons over that that region of Haiti. So that that in short is the that in short is the theology of the of the practice. And of course, to remedy it, spiritual warfare experts would say that these sins of these different regions need to be researched and identified, and then repented of in order to break the power of darkness. So uh, John Dawson in his book talks about identificational repentance. And what that is, 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 is you need to find out if you say you live in Los Angeles, you need to find out in your neck of the woods in Los Angeles what the sin is that is being committed that keeps the demon assigned to your corner of Los Angeles. And then you need to identify that sin, identify that demon, and then repent of that sin. Um, this is also taught by George Otis Jr., and I think he was made famous, uh, or at least one of his products, the Transformation video, was made famous. It kind of made its way through uh, through Sandpoint some years back. Now, all the pastors jumped on board. 
And when I say all, I mean all but a couple. Right. Uh, jumped on board with the transformations video and transform our our city by identifying the sins and repenting of those specific sins so that we might lessen the grip of darkness on our city. And so the, the practice of mapping is the practice of identifying the exact boundaries of a territorial spirit. This was advocated by uh, C. Peter Wagner. He wrote a book called Breaking Strongholds in Your City, How to Use Spiritual Mapping to Make Your Prayers More Strategic, Effective, and Targeted. And and the practice is you, you identify the name of the demon between, and I'm going to be facetious and kind of goofy here, but between 1st Avenue and 5th Avenue from Jones Street to Pine Street. And that geographic region... That mapping, we have a demon assigned to that territory who holds that territory in darkness. And that we are able to, once we identify those demons, then we can pray specifically against those demons' names. Right. And C. Peter Wagner, of course, he is the uh, founder of what is now known as the New Apostolic Reformation. He is the one who, who is really, not that the idea was unknown until C. Peter Wagner, but he's the one that really thrust into the mainstream and, and became, um, it really popularized this, this notion that there are indeed modern-day apostles with a capital A. The office of the apostle is still in operation. A uh, gift of the uh, apostles still in operation. Those apostolic gifts are still in operation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of who we're talking about with C. Peter Wagner. And, and Jim, as you're describing this, if there are certain demons, the example you gave and South Central L.A. that has a stronghold, and there are certain sins that are there. And then, but if you come up to Sandpoint, Idaho, uh, it's it's different demon and different set of sins. That mm-hmm. would that would almost seem to insinuate that uh, that uh, certain people are immune or do not engage in certain sins. But I would I would hazard to say that if you if you found a group of let's say a hundred people, probably just about every sin that's ever been committed, you're going to find somewhere. Yeah, in that hundred people. Right. Yeah, uh, and we obviously identify different locations of our country with different uh, manifestations of sin. Right. When I say the city of San Francisco, what do you think of the the, hom- the homosexual the, issue? The homosexual bluest of the blue cities, yeah, the bluest state. And yeah. but then you get into, you know, you go to the the northwest, um, the least. We live in the one of the least church regions of the country. You know, so it's gangs. Los Angeles is gangs, and you can you can pick out different cities or different regions. You New might Orleans think, well, these is voodoo. Yeah, voodoo. You you get different things. That's a good example. You get different things that might be characterized different regions, but you get a bunch of people together who all like the same thing, and they kind of congregate together into one location, and and that begins to attract other people that are like that in that location, and so. Um, you know, it's just that is not indicative that you actually have spirits um, running those locations. It's just indicative that you have people there who all like the same sin. Right, right. Kind of a birds of a feather flock together kind yeah. of thing. And um, but I dare say that even though, as you said, San Francisco, and, and in full disclosure, you are a San Francisco Forty Nine er fan. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but you're still a big fan of Ronald Reagan. So, That's right. So that, uh, that kind of evens out a little bit. Yeah, it evens out a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, in San Francisco is a city known for its flagrant displays of homosexuality. That's not to say that you're not going to go to San Francisco and still find people who engage in gossip or gluttony or, you know. And so mm-hmm. sins are, I mean, it's we're all fallen. Right. And, and so uh, it, it, common sense, again, kind of 
would dictate that this that this there's something wrong with this with this view. Well, one of the things that's wrong with it is is how they gained the information. And uh, Wagner, in uh, one of his books titled "Wrestling with Dark Angels," um, he talks about how the research over these territorial spirits is done and how they are identified. Now, I'm going to read you a I'm going to read you a passage. I want you to listen to how Wagner says we are to find out this this information. And ask yourself, does any of this sound biblical? He writes this, Another Latin American, Rita Cabezas, has done considerable research on the names of the highest levels of the hierarchy of Satan. I will not at this point describe her research methodology except to mention that the beginning stages were associated with her extensive psychological deliverance practice and that it later evolved into receiving revelatory words of knowledge. She has discovered that directly under Satan are six worldwide principalities named, allowing that this was done in Spanish, Damien, Asmondeo, Mengelesh, Arios, Beelzebub, and Nosferastius. Under each, she reports, are six governors over each nation. For example, those over Costa Rica are Shiebo, Quiebo, Amaneo, Mephistopheles, Nostradamus, and Azazel. Those over the USA are Ralphis, Honoritho, Manchester, Apollyon, Deviltook, and one unnamed. End quote. It, it's hard not to even laugh. You gotta I mean, laugh. It's hard I mean, you gotta laugh, laugh or cry. So, so these demons have—they're um, Hispanic, apparently. Yeah. Except for Nostradamus, I, I recognize that name. My favorite name there is Devil Took. Devil Took. That's a, yeah, that's a great one. That's <laughs> some of them. You'll notice are Manchester. Are, so uh, Manchester. Apparently, we got one English demon in here. Manchester. Yeah. Unless there's a Manchester I've been in the U.S. Manchester, England, actually. So. So well, maybe you brought him back. I, maybe I did. Maybe I brought him back in my suitcase or something unwittingly. Um, what I love, I, I love this line in this in this quote. He says, "See, Peter Wagner says, I will not at this point describe her research methodology." Yeah, I bet you won't. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. So, how does how does she come by this information? How do, well, he says the beginning stages were associated with her extensive psychological deliverance practice. So I can I can only try and deduce from that that it, what it probably involved was some sort of power encounter, exorcism, that's deliverance practice, exorcisms of these demons from people, and she's interviewing demons in the process of this. She's asking them, who is your boss? So, you know, you do an exorcism in, uh, I don't know, Venezuela, and yeah. you ask them, you, you start commanding them, of course, to tell you the truth in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, and you go up the hierarchy finding out who are... What is this hierarchy? And you make sure you have a pen and pencil handy so you can write down all of what the demons are revealing to you about their hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. And then, she, and then he says it later evolved into receiving revelatory words of knowledge. So this again, extra biblical revelation that she's getting. She's getting words of knowledge where God reveals these things to her supposedly that this is the hierarchy of Satan, and uh, and then and then part of the information is gained by exercising demons and having power encounters and conversing with the demonic realm. Yeah. Every every true born again Christian ought to shudder at the thought of conversing with the demonic realm, for one, and then of taking anything that they say seriously, if you did converse with the demonic realm, to believe anything that they would tell you about their structure. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, it just, it just, it's, it amazes me. The, 
you know, apparently a lot of people just seemingly, they just check their brains at the door yeah. when it comes to this. You know, why do you want to talk to demons? And even if you are talking to demons, why would you believe anything that they tell you? Right. And it's believed that under, that finding this out is necessary. That, that we have to, we have to find this out in order to pray against these. So if you get Rita's book or see Peter Wagner's book, then you say, okay, well, over the United States, there are these six demons. Uh, one of them is unnamed. Why is that unnamed? Is God not able to give her revelatory words of knowledge to name that demon? Or right. have they just not interviewed the right demon to find out who that sixth general over the United States is? Right. Right. But it's believed that we could have revival in the West Coast if if Manchester is the one that is the, the demon over the West Coast, for instance, um, then if we could pray against him and concert all of our effort towards binding Manchester and rebuking Manchester, that this will weaken the, the forces of darkness and their hold over the West Coast so that we could have more effective gospel ministry here. Right. Okay, Jim, uh, as I've done before, I'm going to play devil's advocate because some of the proponents of this would say there is biblical support for this, and mm-hmm. it's found in the book of Daniel. Yeah, and your listeners can probably, probably, uh, if they're familiar with Daniel, think of where this is coming from. It's Daniel chapter 10 when Daniel was praying, um, and, the, and, and Michael, um, Michael ended up coming to Daniel with an answer to his prayer. And Daniel 10, 13 and 21 says this, From the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. And then in verse 21, it says, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you that it is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who understands firmly with me, uh, stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So he refers to uh, Michael as a prince. He refers to the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And that there was apparently a spiritual battle going on where the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece withstood Michael from coming and giving Daniel the answer. So that's that's your biblical support. Okay. So uh, for those who who are proponents of this this view, why why does this not support this uh, this idea of demons having territory over which they're you know uh, entrusted or ruling over? And so why why does this not say? What they claim it is. Well, with, as with the other practices, these other bogus practices that we've been critiquing in this series, what you have here is you have one verse or one reference with scant amount of information in it that is taken as a basis for an entire theology and a series of revelations and a whole practice and a whole theology that is built upon this one little tiny verse. Kind of like one little tiny spiritual reference. warfare version of the prayer of Jabez. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And a whole, a whole superstructure that is built upon, I mean, books that have been written about this one thing, and yet we're only, there's a scant amount of information here. It's, it is a stretch at best to say that this passage supports the practice of interviewing demons to find out who their, who their princes are, their chiefs are. Daniel didn't do that. The angel revealed to Daniel that this was going on in the heavenlies. So there are only two princes mentioned here, the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And yet from that reference of just two princes, two angelic powers that are identified with these regions, you have this entire superstructure of spiritual warfare, spiritual mapping being built on that. And and so I'm, I'm guessing upon his 
uh, his revelation of, of what was going on when Daniel got this knowledge, he immediately went to war against these demons, right? Yeah, there's nothing in the text that says that. He didn't pray against them. He didn't name them. Uh, he didn't He didn't get, as, as Rita Cabezas did, that Wagner talks about, he didn't get the, the details on all the, the superstructure of the angelic forces over Greece and Persia. Uh, he didn't do that. Daniel was completely unaware of this reality until the angel revealed it to him. So there's no indication that he was praying that way or that he was seeking this information or that even, there's, in fact, there's no indication in the text that the reason the angel revealed this to Daniel was so that Daniel could pray intelligently against them. That's not even in the text. Yeah. David Barton, are you familiar with him? Yeah. 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 David Barton has said that there are... And I'd have to go back and look at the clip to get the the names, but he said there's there's a certain demon of, uh, that is assigned to the um, legislature. The uh, oh, that I that I believe House of Representatives. <laughs> <laughs> that you believe. Yeah. There's another demon for the Senate. Yeah, and one for the White House. One for the White House. <laughs> and so, and we've got to identify these and, and start praying against them. And uh, so, anyway, so yeah, that's not how we're told to do spiritual warfare, though. No, no. The exactly. only thing that that passage in Daniel teaches is that the battle's real and that God is fighting it. That's all you can discern from that passage. To go beyond that, I mean, I mean, I guess we can discern that at least at the time of Daniel. There was an angel that that this angel referred to as the Prince of Persia, and one that was called the Prince of Greece. And, and it may have something to do with the way in which the spirit behind the power of of Tyre is really Satan, Ezekiel twenty eight. You know that this prince behind this ruler is this demon. That I think is as far as you could stretch that. But to take that passage and say, therefore, we have biblical warrant to interview demons, to get the names of this structure, hierarchical structure, and to pray against them, that, that is completely unwarranted. So, okay, well, if Daniel didn't do this, if he didn't engage in uh, binding these demons or, or mapping their territory, uh, surely we have some example of this in, in the early church, right? Surely there's something about it in the book of Acts. Nothing right? in Acts, again, nothing in Acts, nothing in the epistles. Um, the practice wasn't even vo- invo- invented or promoted until after 1990, and that was by C. Peter Wagner. And he referred to this in one of his books as, quote, one of the most important things the Spirit is saying to the churches in the 1990s, end quote. So up until 1990, the church is just kind of... We have been with that. We have needed C. Peter Wagner to come along and to reveal this. I mean, imagine how much more powerful the spread of the gospel could have been in Paul's day if he had known to do this. Imagine how many more people would be in heaven right now. Right now. If... If only we, the church, had known about yeah. this practice. I mean, we're mocking it a little bit, but you, you almost have to because the, the assumptions made are so, are so silly. Um, there, there is no limit. When, when you say that the Spirit is giving some information to the churches today that it is, He has not given to the church for 1,900 years, 1,990 years, when, when that is the foundation of your theology, then there is no, that is the Pandora's box of every wacky and goofy and silly and unbiblical practice you can imagine. There is nothing that you can prohibit. There is nothing you can restrict once you have opened the floodgates by saying the Spirit's doing something new today. This is fresh revelation. So what the Spirit is doing today is revealing these demonic hierarchies, and He hasn't been doing this for 1,900 years. Um, There's no end to the nonsense that will ensue. Yeah. Sola Scriptura is out the window. Out the window, yeah. Why have that? Yeah. At all. Yeah. And the Bible becomes nothing more than something that, oh, yeah, we can point to a verse here where it seems to allude to this practice. But the practice itself is by special revelation. 
You know, she gets this through words of knowledge. This this hierarchy, this demonic hierarchy, is words of knowledge. Right. Um, Paul never did this in all of his travels. You never see Jesus doing this. So you would think that Paul would go into the city of Athens. The first thing he would do is, is uh, well, let's take Philippi, the example that uh, was quoted earlier in one of our previous uh, uh, examples of the, the demon-possessed girl um, in the city of Philippi, Acts chapter 16. You'd think that Paul would have pulled her aside and said, okay, now, in order to evangelize the city of Philippi, I need you to give me the, the hierarchy, the satanic hierarchy of, yeah. this, of the city of Philippi so that I can pray against the demon that is in this region who's exercising control over you, and I'm going to find, I'm going to go all the way up that food chain until I get to the top commander so that I can pray down how much more effective could his ministry be. You never see Paul doing that. You never see Peter doing it. It, just, it was absolutely foreign to the New Testament, this whole idea. Right. It's an entirely man-made practice. And, and it really diminishes the, the power of the gospel. Yeah, does it does. It not? I mean, you, you read through the, the accounts and acts and, and the early church, and I mean, you, you see the apostles going in and preaching the gospel, not conducting seminars on how to map out right. your territorial demons. They, they preach the gospel. Right, and so because the gospel itself is the power of God into salvation. Right. To, to suggest that before the gospel can have to gain a foothold in the community, before the gospel can do that, we need to map out the spiritual realm and pray against this. We need to open up the realm of darkness to the light before the gospel can come in. That is to say that our la- we lack confidence in the gospel itself to do this, to deliver men from darkness to light, to open men's eyes. The right. gospel itself is the power of God into salvation, and it is sufficient to do what God has, has ordained that it will do, and that is to bring his sheep to himself. Right. Yeah, and, and to illustrate further just how absurd this is, let's take the example of, uh, what was her name, Rita Cabezas. Mm-hmm. All right, so if if all these demons are out there and they've been assigned territory and we're supposed to map them, and once we map them and we know which demon is assigned to which territory, so we start binding or rebuking that demon, wouldn't you wouldn't you think, let's say the example of, uh, let's see, one of her demons was named uh, Damien, so or Asmadio. So Damien or Asmadio, they they uh, they realize that their 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 gig is up. Well, all of a sudden, they're bound. All of a sudden, they're bound. Damien woke up one morning. Where did these chains come from? I'm bound now. I I can't uh, affect Kootenai right. any longer. So why wouldn't they just fly to another place and set up shop there? Right. You know, it's kind of like a like a like a demonic chessboard. They would, you know, if they realize they're about to be bound there. Uh, just, just go to a different territory. Switch the players and start all over again. Yeah, move from move from Sandpoint, Idaho, and go to uh, I don't know, go to Walla Walla, Washington, or there you go. You know, go to Tallahassee, Florida, set up shop there, and you just keep jumping around, and you can never track them down. So, right. I mean, again, all Satan has to do is, is shuffle the pieces, and and all of the information that they've gained by their exorcisms, their clinical practice, their words of knowledge, it's all. All uh, expired. It's all, it's no good anymore. Yeah, yeah. Completely out of date now. Completely we have to start from scratch. Start from scratch. Find out what the superstructure is. Yeah, unreal, unreal. It, it's it's a goofy, silly practice, and and you just have to ask yourself: have, with all of the binding that's been going on, the rebuking, the binding, the territorial spirits, the mapping, the praying against these forces, so that we can open up the darkness and get the light in there, has any progress really been made? Are we able to say today that we have made any progress in this? Are we experiencing worldwide national revival? We've mapped the spirits in in the United States. We know what five out of six are. One of them is unnamed, according to C. Peter Wagner. Maybe that's his name, unnamed. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was his name. So let's say we've mapped all six of them. We've got all six spirits figured out. We prayed against them. Are we experiencing a national revival? What is the condition of the church today? Is the gospel, is the gospel having its way in this country? Are we Christianizing things? Yeah. Are 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 the evangelistic crusades that we're doing more effective since 1990? And this practice was spoken to the churches by the Spirit. Is it more effective today than it was? Prior to 1990, prior to the discovery of this spiritual mapping and strategic level spiritual warfare, I don't think it is. We're not experiencing any reformation. The church is losing ground. The church is abandoning the truth. Right, right. It is, indeed, indeed. And for all these people binding and rebuking demons and, and taking back territory, yeah, you, you, boy, it's a spectacular failure. It is. A spectacular failure. And, and it should concern us that, and this is why I said at the beginning that this is the most, one of, the, of, of, of all these practices that I've critiqued, this is the most dangerous because it should concern us the way in which these people who say that they are Christians are seeking this information. It is extra-biblical revelation, and they are trusting the word of demons and the imagination of people who say that they're hearing from God, this should be disturbing, and that they are trusting the testimony of demons gained through deliverance ministry and exorcisms and by conversing with demonic spirits in the spiritual realm. They're relying upon that, and they cannot rely upon Scripture. And so this goes back to why we started with Scripture sufficient, the sufficiency right. of Scripture. The assumption behind it is Scripture is not enough, because Scripture doesn't give us this hierarchy. It doesn't tell us who these demons are assigned to various geographical regions. So Scripture is insufficient for me to win the spiritual battle. So we need something more. If C. Peter Wagner did not believe that, he would never practice this. He would never have promoted this. But he believes that Scripture is insufficient, and anybody who promotes this practice must believe that Scripture is insufficient because they don't get this information from Scripture itself. It has to come from outside of Scripture. So these people set aside the sure word of God for demonic testimony, and that's concerning. And again, as we've said before, the great irony in all of this is by exceeding biblical parameters, doing what Paul said not to do in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul said, do not exceed what is written. In doing that, these supposed spiritual warfare experts like Peter Wagner and Sid Roth and, and all, all these others, they are, they are exposing people to the very demonic deception that their teaching is supposed to protect them from. Yep. That is irony. It is indeed. So, Jim, tell us again, where can people get the book? Truthorterritory.com. Truthorterritory.com. All right, and next week we will be looking at what? Uh, you got the paper there. Tell us. Okay. All right, next week uh, we will be looking at another thing that I imagine a lot of people have questions about, demonic possessions. Demon possession. Yep. Demon possession. What is that about? Can, can Christians... Be demon possessed. Uh, what? How much influence do demons have? Um, uh, so there, there's a lot of questions about that. I get emails from time to time, fairly regularly actually, uh, people asking about these kinds of matters. Demon possession and uh, sanctification is the next program, Lord willing. And um, so, dear ones, thank you for for joining us. And I hope that this is very interesting to you and helpful to you in a very practical sense. Jim, thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right, until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.